Well, welcome back, everyone. I believe we are live uh, on Twitter, and we should be live on YouTube. It's 9.01. Uh, this is the Morning Brushback YouTube show slash podcast with Bobby Stevens. Bobby, how you doing, man? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm good. Um, I'm not as bored as other people. Like People have been asking me if I'm bored, but I'm kind of a recluse, so I don't know. I've been okay. I've been kind of in the web world. Myself. You've been How about practicing you? this social distancing for <laughs> at least a few weeks. That's true. That's true. So I have a I have a female friend in in DC, um, which I only say female friend because I don't have a lot of female friends. But she was we we got dinner one night and then she texted me like four or five days later and she's like, "Hey, a couple of my friends are out of town. Like, would you want to do something this weekend?" I'm like, "It's too soon." Like, she's like, you're like a 10 day friend. She's like, you're a 10 day friend, aren't you? I'm like, yeah, between like 10 days and like 21 days. Like, give me a couple weeks and then maybe we can hang out again. Like, I don't have any ammo yet to talk to talk to you. Like, it's kind of the way I am with everybody. I don't know. Most people. But you've exhausted all talking points. So this this three days a week should be interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the only other person that I talk to a lot is uh, our friend Zach who we talk baseball a couple of times a month. Um, and that's just like, he's on the road a lot and we talk, but I, so I, I need to share this story uh, as we get going. So I'm, I'm new to DC. I've lived here a month and a half. I've been on this coast and like I was living in Northern Virginia and in DC a lot in the last six months since I moved here, but DC is a grid. So if you're downtown DC, it's a grid. So those streets are lettered a through, you know, Z, whatever. And then the number and they so that you know the numbers go one way which they are um east to west and the lettered streets go uh south to north and so i've been running around since that's the only sort of exercise that you can do now except for doing weird stuff in your house and the other day i like went on my normal route kind of cutting back into more of the center of the city and then going up and then coming back down i was gonna make this like big kind of figure eight loop and then like on my way back, I ran longer than normal. I run into this body of water <laughs> and I'm like, that doesn't seem to exist in the middle of the city where I run all the time. This, this is very curious. And what had happened was I kind of like, I got up to this one part and I drifted and then I actually like was running past my, my place, like laterally, like much farther than I realized I just lost track of what I was doing. Right. And so this body of water was actually on the other side. It was not in the center of the city. It was like half a mile uh, east. And I said, hmm, and this was my fatal error was that I thought this body of water was in the center uh, relative to my place rather than being on the other side of it. And so I went left. I went more east. And this put me to this piece of government land that I had to basically do like a three mile loop around. Like I, I was like, all right, this has got to stop sometime. Like it's, it can't keep going on forever. Well, pretty much went on forever. Um, and then I found myself, I didn't bring my phone, which I don't like running with this huge brick of a phone. So I was just like, I have my credit card, my ID and my Metro card and my keys, but no other way. And so I asked people to help me. I said, Hey, like I'm lost. Can you give me directions? And they showed me. And then these two girls gave me directions and they showed me this fork and both of them were wrong. 
So I, I went down the one that was running. I hit like a second wind at like an hour later. Hit the second wind going deeper into the suburbs, just like the exact wrong way into towards like Hyattsville, Maryland. And uh, kept getting farther and farther to where it was starting to get like towards nightfall. Finally asked for directions again. And the woman said, no, you need to get on the Metro because you're nowhere close to home. And at, towards the end, this, the streets start, I started seeing numbered streets. So I saw like 12th Street. I'm like, huzzah, I've done it. 12th Street means I'm only like, you know, 10 streets from my street. No, it was like just, you know, how they have streets start to repeat in other places of the, of the area. No, it was very far away. And if I hadn't actually talked to her, I would have like taken the numbered street that I lived on and just been like farther in no man's land, which was not actually a very good neighborhood. So I got on the Metro, took it home. And my whole run with including the Metro was about an hour and 50 minutes, hour and 45 minutes. I don't like running that much. I didn't want to run an hour and 40, 40 minutes, Bobby. It was terrible. The Iron Man training. Dumb. It was very dumb. Yeah, um, you need to print out like the directions, how we used to do it back in high school with the map quest and the turn by turn. You need hard copy. Well, I stopped at a bus station and looked at the map on it and then still went the wrong way. Uh, so I've, I've, only been been a, I've only been to D.C. a few times, but... You, you know, you're in Chicago and you know that the lake is east because if yeah. you go, if you hit the lake, you're not getting any further east. So this as long as you have your bearings, you know, you know a little bit about where you're at in Chicago. But D.C. is it's not landlocked. Right. But it's there's I mean, it's landlocked. Except from what I remember a, about river DC, that cuts through it. Yeah. But what I remember about D.C. is there's there's like a, a one lane road in and a one lane road out. It's like a very it's it's almost designed to make traffic your worst nightmare it's the most bottlenecky thing of all time so yeah. where i was living in the suburbs if there was no traffic it would take me 30 minutes to get to dc if there was traffic it would take me an hour to get 12 miles like just to the first metro stop that was close enough and it would take a solid two hours to get to dc but here's the kicker is that DC has this ratcheted up, um, which I guess makes economic sense or whatever. You can't take the bridge from 66 West across the river into DC during rush hour because they make it an on-demand toll. So some days it can be $47. <laughs> and when you're new to town, you don't necessarily know this. And one day I was, I was driving, I was going to go all the way into the city. I can't remember why, but I started to see these toll warnings. It's like, today's toll, $42. And I called my brother-in-law, I'm like, hey, does this mean I'm going to get you? He's like, yep, you need to get off. Yep, yep, yep. You need to exit immediately. <laughs> so I exited and only paid like $4 because all exits, as you get to a, a certain proximity to DC, have a toll. Have a toll. So so they say like, hey, if you get off here, it's cheaper. If you, if you wait a little longer, it's a little more expensive. Then if you go all the way across, we're going to take all of your lunch money. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> Which is like really rude. They should make that clear to people who are new because it's just like not clear. It's like, wait, is that applied to me? The newbies mean? are the money makers. Why would they make it clear to you? I guess that's painful though. Forty dollars for a toll. I mean, at that point, you've already driven most of the way there. You're paying essentially forty dollars for the last ten percent of your commute. That's what's crazy. So anyway, I don't like driving, so I don't miss it. But big city. It's a big city. Um, so quick baseball news. Uh, not good baseball news, but probably the only. I guess big story right now is Chris Sale's getting Tommy John surgery. Um, 
I think a lot less traumatic to the Chicago South side where you're close to right now, but I mean, where everybody had been predicting uh, his Tommy John for the last 12 years. Which as long the, as he's been in the big leagues, just because of his mechanics or what? Yeah. I actually remember playing uh, when he was drafted, he came to wherever we were playing. I don't know. Um, somewhere a ball, maybe double a, um, to throw a bullpen long, tall, obviously looks exactly the same. Kids had the same mechanics since he was 10 years old. Um, but as soon as he got to the South side, it was, what do we got to do to change this kid? What do we got to do to change him? And I mean, he's been durable, you know, at for as hard as he throws and his body super I mean, durable, he's, he's been very durable. So what do you, you, there's, unless you get a, you know, a, some kind of, precursor you know how do you how do you predict tommy john it's i would say he's been as as durable as anybody in the big leagues um especially for how many you know quote-unquote warning signs there were that this kid's going to need surgery at some point well yeah and a lot of that's anecdotal i mean the whole durability thing is always frustrating to me because it's like all right so you're a big dude you're like six five and you've got really big legs like that makes your elbow ligament more durable Versus, you know, Chris Sale's tall and, and very lanky, very skinny. And, like, that puts his UCL more at risk. I mean, like, the whole ar- argument about it is it's just completely anecdotal. I mean, big, strong dudes that throw 97 get Tommy John. And skinny dudes get it, too. But I don't know. I've, I've never really fallen into that category where I, I believe that, hey, because you're, you're, you're thin, you're less durable. I mean... I don't know. It, you know, they act like it's you're producing more velocity with your legs when you're bigger and you have a bigger lower half. But I'm not really sure that's true. Just like the way the stride is, like you, you're, it's a lateral push down the mound. It's, it's you have to be good at lateral movement. You have to have good core stability and, and hip rotation, all that stuff. I'm not sure where the thickness of your thighs makes you more durable in your UCL. I don't know. Well, what was Pedro? 5'10", mm-hmm. 160 through 100. Yeah totally durable throughout his career you know durability is you know for whatever you think of it or however you want to define it made every start <clears throat> went yeah. deep in the games i mean but there's what's the what's the predictor of durability big thighs i mean i think it's mechanics but then again mechanics are are suspect too i mean they're not great great indicators i think velocity is the the tough one i mean when you throw super hard. I mean, it just increases the, you know, the, the, the stress that's flowing to that ligament. But the one thing that's interesting is that, um, and they mentioned this, I don't know what study this was or, or where I got this data, but it was mentioned at the, I think one of the AS, ASMI injury and in baseball meetings that basically if you make it past five years of service time in the major leagues and you haven't gotten Tommy John yet, you're very unlikely to ever get it, which makes sense on the surface. Like if you've pitched that many years, which is a lot of, I mean, five years in the majors, you know, you're probably at least 28 on average, right? Probably closer to 30. Sure. So if you've made it to 30, that means you've been pitching since you're probably eight. That's 22 years. If you've never needed it by then, you just like basically won the genetic lottery and you've like made it through the gauntlet, essentially. Like you're, you're in smooth waters. Like you look at a guy like Max Scherzer, you'd think, you know, Max Scherzer's thrown what 2000 innings if not more by this point in his career right there's like 97 every pitch uh you'd think if it was a cumulative effect which 
it mostly is like the ligament doesn't just explode when it's brand new and like strong. It just degrades over time, like a rope losing strands. But if it was that whole degradation argument, then Max, like Max Scherzer should be degrading on every pitch. He's throwing 2000 innings at 97 miles per hour, but yet he's still healthy. And he's probably always going to be healthy. He's probably never going to blow out his elbow. And so Chris sales kind of in that same bucket, you know what I mean? Like 10 years, tons yeah, of I innings. Would imagine it's, uh... He's proven that his body's like good at, attenuating the stress in his ECL. Like, well, it's funny you mentioned mechanics, right? Because I feel <clears> like uh, pitching mechanics, you know, for as many absolutes as there might be, you know, I don't know enough about pitching. You to pitching, you're the pitching expert, but, uh, you know, a guy, another guy in Chicago, Mark Pryor, so, you know, touted as perfect mechanics, you know, he had calves as big as his thighs. This guy looked like the picture perfect pitcher and injury riddled career. You know, it's a, and then another yeah. guy that he pitched with, Kerry Wood, the same same thing, you know, uh, promising young career, maybe cut. I wouldn't say cut short because he did pitch a long time, but he was, you know, gets hurt. Um, and then they attribute a lot of that to his high school uh, abuse of, you know, th- pitching in a doubleheader, throwing 150 pitches a game. You know, is that – I don't know if there's studies. I don't know what, you know, how much you can attribute to how much he threw when he was 16 years old, but – you know, how do you predict it? You don't, you don't predict, take your gambling. It's a, it's a 50, 50 shot on, on everybody you take, you know, like you said, Scherzer without that track record of 10 years of just, you know, take the ball every fifth day. You're, you're basically on a, you're on a, a time clock as to when you're going to break down. Yeah. And, that, and that's, I mean, that's correct. I think we're probably even undershooting Max Scherzer. He's probably what a 15 year veteran at this point. So, you know, it's just, uh, it's crazy. Let's see what he's got. Um, 12 years and 2290 his innings total. So 2,290 innings. So, yeah, I mean, you know, and I was an example. I had Tommy John twice and I also had two partial tears in addition to my full tear. So I had four elbow injuries and always had problems. You look back at my delivery, like there's one video of me throwing for a recruiting service when I was a junior or senior in high school. Like I had clean looking, like good together. Like that kid's been taught how to pitch mechanics. You know what I mean? Whereas today you can, you can go through and we know a lot more about pitching mechanics. Now you could go through my video and be like, Oh, well his arm timing is a little bit late or he's like a little bit, maybe he leaks a little bit like those little things that are important, obviously. But you never say like, oh, Dan's got trash mechanics. Like if you looked at anyone and said that they have like ugly mechanics, it'd be Chris Sale. Like his mechanics aren't what you would teach a kid from scratch. But obviously he's phenomenal. This is in no way a knock on Chris Sale. There's a million different ways to throw a baseball. Um, You know, Madison Bumgarner has a, uh, you know, unconventional delivery, like a lot of wrapping, you know, the lower arm slot. Chris Sale has an unconventional delivery. They're not how you would teach a kid. If, you know, if an alien came down from outer space and he said, show me a baseball pitcher, show me pitching mechanics, you would show him kind of like Mark Pryor or you'd show right. him Max Scherzer. You'd show them Justin Verlander. They like look like the archetype, like the standard, like that's what you'd teach a little kid to try to look like. And then all the variances come into play, whatever. You wouldn't teach him to look like Chris Sale. You wouldn't teach him to look like Tim Lincecum necessarily, even though he's uniquely efficient and did all the interesting stuff to really, I yeah. think, maximize his body frame. But you would teach people to, you know, look like the standard um, pitcher. So 
So, and I fell in that category too, but yet my elbow was made of paper mache and, um, <laughs> you know, these things happen. So there's a lot of other biological factors that you just can't know. Like maybe Max Scherzer's UCL is like one and a half times thicker than a normal human. He's an alien. You know? Well, and, and the thing about stress, it's like with the motus sleeve and the, uh, the, the research where they say, okay, like Randy Johnson, we know that there's 90 uh, stress points flowing through his elbow. But for Randy Johnson, he was okay too. Like he was never hurt, right? Dude was terrifying. Threw from a low arm slot, huge long arms, like long levers. Um, you know, you look at someone like him and you're like, oh, if his stress level, and I'm just making numbers, is 90 – and that doesn't blow his elbow out over a 20 year career. If my stress level is 90, I blow my elbow out twice. Like everyone just has a unique stress level that their body can tolerate. And then you kind of monitor that. So if Randy's is 90 and then one season's mechanics are out of wax and now he's at 105, then you might be concerned like he's producing more stress than he normally does. Right. So now he might be at risk. Whereas some other kid could be fine with 105. Some other guy could, could, pitch 10 years with a 105 stress level, but Randy Johnson's in trouble if he's there. Cause that's not his baseline. So it's kind of like, what is your body's baseline and how much can you handle? Cause no one's ligaments are the same. No one's muscles are the same. No one's like, everyone's different. That's what's crazy about it. So tough, tough off season for the Red Sox. Yeah. Those poor, poor guys. I was reading about their luxury tax yeah. implications, all that stuff. It's uh losing well, Boston. Boston never wins championships. So you got to feel bad for those guys. I mean, they've won many more than uh, than the Cubs. So, I'm I'm not a Cubs fan, but you know, Red Sox don't win, Bruins don't win, Patriots haven't won in how long? Celtics, you just I feel bad for that. You know, that part of the country is really de deprived of fair. parades. Fair, fair. All right, so moving on, hitting Twitter. Um, Hitting Twitter's uh, messy, and right now there's a big fight between – I mean, there's always bickering between coaches, right? But right now there's been a, a prominent former big leaguer um, kind of mocking a lot of the the hitting guys out there. Take us through it. So we got former big leaguer Jeff Fry, nine years in the big leagues. Well, from all accounts, anything that I've read about him, a well-respected guy, you know, more of a – uh, small ball guy, you'd say, you know, singles, doubles, gap to gap, not a power guy. Uh, but the main thing about the, the, the clash between him and, you know, coaches on hitting Twitter uh, seems to be what he perceives as like the gimmick drills or, you know, using a PVC pipe, using a, a flat bat, um, maybe some sort of contraption on the body. I haven't watched his videos you know, all the way through. I'm just following along on the threads. Um, so, I mean, my big question is, especially, you know, you're a pitching guy. I don't know enough about pitching drills, but at what point do drills become gimmicks? Uh, you know, are they stealing money? You know, coaches stealing money, $100 an hour from a from a player, and you're going to do, you know, I saw a drill. Someone sent me a drill yesterday with a, a baseball and a tube sock taped around the wrist, and the guy's throwing it, kind of simulating a – a long toss, but the ball can't go anywhere type deal. Um, I mean, I don't know where you fall on it as far as, you know, when, what are these, are these drills gimmicks? Are they, do they helpful? I personally see some use, some useful drills with PVC pipe, you know, uh, insider bat, a smaller bat, you know, the game has evolved a, 
it's still see ball hit ball, but the game has evolved enough to where not every drill is meant to take you from A to Z. Some drills take you from A to B. Some drills take you from B to C. Um, so I don't, you know, where do you fall on those? I, I see some benefit of them. You know, I see the benefit of a former big leaguer telling me what he did, what he thought, you know, I'm not ready to dismiss him completely, even though he is attacking maybe a little bit of what I would teach or some of the stuff that I would use. So, you know, where do you fall on, on some of those gimmick drills and uh, you know, some of the, I guess the, the haves versus the have nots of, of teaching. Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, I, so I, especially with the hitting world, cause I, I want to talk about softball. I want to talk about baseball hitting as well, but especially on like in the baseball hitting world right now, I'm seeing a lot of drills that don't look like swings I've ever seen in games. And people are saying, this is good. This is the way it's done. And I'm like, no, I've never, I've never pitched against one pro guy who ever swung that way in a game. That's my problem. When you watch these, some of these on Instagram or Twitter or whatever, you'll see a guy just really lean back. And they're just very dippy. And like that swing doesn't exist in real baseball. So it's like, don't tell me that that's the way we should be swinging. Now, if that's like something you're doing one day or you're like working for feel for something, fine. You can contextualize it. Drills are not always real life. But like when you're showing me, oh, this dude's hitting this ball 105 and it went 420 on the um, on the hit tracks. It's like, okay, but that's not a swing that any human does in real life. And well, I've so seen where, some of these people, you hit on it, right? Like that's where the, you, you hit on exactly what it is. It's, are you doing something for feel? You know, I'm trying to feel my back hip. I'm trying to feel like I'm whatever you're doing this and doing that versus this is how Mike Trout swings. So this is how you need to swing. Um, which is where the, where Twitter's good and bad, right? You share information and everybody kind of gets a little bit of, uh, you know, I take a little bit from this guy, I take a little bit from this guy, but there's no context in some of these drills. So, you know, I'm Jeff Fry. I used a batting tee and we took batting practice whenever I played in the 90s. Like, that's what we did. I hit 290 in the big leagues. You know, you're doing all this other stuff. You're an idiot. Fair enough, right? This is, you speak from your own experience. Whereas if I'm, I'm in the cage with a kid who's 15 and he is consistently hitting the ball, you know, killing worms, making divots right in front of home plate. So I'm, so I'm giving him this, okay, feel this, try and feel like you're falling back towards catcher just to get him to get, maybe get more through the baseball, whatever, whatever you're teaching, you know, feel versus real is a, is a, is a real thing. I, I feel certain things that maybe I didn't do. You hear a rod and all these big leaders talk all the time on MLB network. You know, they felt like they were going, down to the baseball and essentially they do right the bat starts up here and it it travels down it just doesn't travel forward and straight down in real life but yeah i don't discount the feel of uh alex rodriguez you know he he speaks about hitting you listen whether or not his thought matches what he did you know you hear mike trout talk and and it's funny when you hear mike trout talk because he's very calculated about what he says in everything but especially in hitting because it's like he wants to give you a little bit, but not his total, you know, he doesn't want to give you all the secrets because those secrets make him 
the as best if that, player. As if, that, as if that would matter. <laughs> right. They make him the best player in baseball, though. So he gives you enough, and he gives you certain things that he's thinking about. But, you know, sometimes, like I tell kids all the time, I tell guys that uh, we work with or I work with at least, you know, your thoughts are adjustments just as, as much as they are, you know, to keep you on the straight and narrow. You know, if I'm consistently late, you know, I as a hitter, I might need to think, pull the ball foul, you know, hit the third base coach. And that might get me back to a neutral position. Whereas some guys that are consistently early might need to think the opposite. They might need to think first base coach, right field foul pole, yeah. you know, so when they're explaining it to you, there's, there's gotta be some context in what he's saying. You know, you, you just give a guy two pieces of PVC pipe, a T and some different colored baseballs and, and screenshot it. He's going to look like he's stealing money or, you know, selling you the, you know, selling you a bill of goods that makes absolutely no sense when in reality it might make a lot of sense and it just might be a different way of thinking. Yeah, I remember, um, and I'm certainly not on the Alex Bregman train. I'm on the opposite train. Um, I like to push his train off the tracks because of that whole cheating scandal. But sure, um, I think like a year ago, he commented on a video of like someone in the hitting guru area, no one that we've been talking about today. But he basically was just like, nah, that swing right there doesn't play. And he was absolutely right because it, like, it was one of those things I was talking about where you know, kids just like so leaned back and so dip and drive. Um, maybe that's not the right term for it, but just like back shoulder dipping, just like huge uppercut. He's like, right. that, is, that swing doesn't play, which is spot on. And then the guy is responding back to Alex Bregman and he's showing him videos of Joey Votto. And he's like, and it's like, those two don't look anything alike. That's not your, like, <laughs> Joey Votto doesn't swing like that. I'm looking at it. I'm looking at the video that you posted a video of Joey Votto. And now here's your kid that you're working with. They don't look the same. Joey Votto is much more upright. Sure, every hitter has a lean back, but not like these crazy ones that you're seeing. And not their shoulders not dropping. Your Joey hands are Votto's dropping. Great. Yeah, Joey Votto is great. Great example because you see him, I mean, playing first base, doing things that try to get him to whatever he's trying to feel in his swing. He does these very exaggerated on deck swings. You know, his drills are very thought out as to it's a feel he wants to feel something you know i tell a i tell a story i was in spring training um and we were waiting to take batting practice we're playing the red Sox, or they might have been by our place for whatever reason pedroia's in the cage gets six seven baseballs flipped to him pounds every ball foul at you know third base dugout i mean like didn't square one up steps out of the cage you know round of seven steps out and he tells, you know, they're over there talking and we're kind of, you know, a couple of minor leaguers are just listening. And he said, you know, they're like, how are you done? Like, you know, end on a good one. Everyone says, you know, one more end on a good one, whatever. And he's like, I just, he's like, I already felt what I'm trying to feel for the day. I'm, you know, I already felt it something to that effect, you know, without quoting him, which is yeah. what batting practice and some of these drills are designed to do. Let me feel what I need to feel when I know I'm going well and whatever gets you there. If, if standing on the mound and putting a tee off of it and stepping uphill on the mound and hitting the ball straight up to the catcher makes you feel like you're good for the game, then, you know, confidence trumps everything yeah. in, in all aspects really. So 
if that makes you confident, then you do it. You know, that's, I, I can't tell you what makes you feel good in the cage. I can only tell you what I felt from my own experience, which is the big argument. Like what, what, at what percentage is it experience? What percentage is it your own success? What percentage is it, is it some guy who has broken down the best swings and explaining to you literally what's happening? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and we're going to, we're going to move on in a second cause we're going to run out of time here. Um, but yeah, so I mean, good thoughts and you're right. It's about feel. And that's one of the things that I used to reinforce with a lot of my pitchers because everyone wants to throw on more. They throw a bad curveball to finish or bad. They want to finish. I'm like, nah, we're done. They get like one chance. And if they don't throw their best right. one, it's like, nah, like you had a good bullpen today. Your last pitch has nothing to do with your first 40 that were good. Like you got something out of it. Same thing with Joey Votto. Like doesn't matter what he ends on. Like if you got what he needed out of it, you got what, and that's, I think, very profound, but I mean, the whole thing with the Twitter universe and an argument in general, I know you watch uh, Joe Rogan's podcast. I've actually been just new to it. I really haven't watched it before, but with the quarantine, I've had a little more background noise on. But, uh, you know, Neil deGrasse Tyson was talking about if an argument goes past five minutes, he said, like, no one's ever going to yield their position, essentially. And you're very, very rarely yelling cases. at each other. Yeah. So, like, when I look at um, – this guy, Jeff Fry, which I, I respect his career and like, he's not wrong, but like mocking other people on the web, it's just like not going to get anyone anywhere. It's just going to make other people more pissed off and entrenched in their vote, in their views. And like, I don't know, you're not really convincing anyone that way. It's just, it's a strange thing. That's kind of why I stay out of Twitter a lot because I don't really care to argue with people that much. I'll like stir the pot once in a while, but you know, Twitter's like, become people, the new the new town square, right? Twitter's become yeah. where everyone congregates to share ideas. You know, before technology, you went to the town square, you sat around, you know, the old guys sat around and talked about how the new guy, you know, the young people are idiots. And you could throw tomatoes at each other if you wanted yeah, to. Well, that's the word you want to talk about, right? You want to move on to, uh, what is it? You, you've been sitting around clearly way too long if you've got heavy thoughts on this, but uh, you put in here what? is there a difference among spaghetti brands? How many have you, how many spaghetti brands? So is it the sauce? Yeah. How many, how many have you <laughs> open your pantry? What do you well, have? In there? Well, we, I don't want to spend much time on this topic cause we've been, we've been cruising, but so my sister love loves Rao's spaghetti sauce. That's the best one. So by the way. I got some at uh, Costco and I haven't had, like, I don't eat much pasta and I haven't had, I don't think I've had a spaghetti based meal in like <laughs> probably a year. So I had some and I'm like, this tastes good. And I texted her, I said like, this tastes like spaghetti sauce. She's like, I hate you. <laughs> I'm like, but it's the best one. It's I need the, stuff to compare it to. I, that's what I've heard. What she says. Is it healthier? It's, it's healthier. Less, corn, sure. less corn syrup. Pretty much everything's High corn syrup. Syrup. I'm all on, I'm all on top of that. Just, yeah, no. we'll do a we'll do a podcast strictly on stuff you shouldn't be eating. That's fair. Um, I don't know. It seems good, but yeah, I don't have anything to compare it to. Now, if I guess I got like a dollar uh, jar of something that probably tastes like ketchup, then I'd definitely be like, okay, Rao. We call you, that you, ragu guy. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Um, but last thing I want to cover today, um, and we'll get into this more another time. How do you feel about all the quarantine time filling ideas right now? There's a lot of silliness out there, but like, what's actually important? 
I don't know. I don't know. I'm already going stir crazy. Uh, my wife gets to work from home. I'm obviously in the the baseball sports world, so it's hard to, I know that's, uh, I'm just, I'm just basically bothering her at this point at work. Like I'm, I'm the, the 10 year old kid out of, off of school that has nothing to do. So I think yesterday, yesterday I watched some curb, uh, like some Seinfeld reruns, but I'm, I, it's gotten to the point where I'm like quoting it to myself. Uh, so quarantine ideas are welcome. Um, I don't have any good, I don't have any good ones currently. I'll have some better ones Wednesday for everybody. I mean, I guess my thing is I see a lot of workouts and it's, it's already getting tired. Like the at-home workouts you can do. It's like, great. Um, the big challenges with at-home workouts is that you, it's hard to really do rowing exercises and your back musculature is much more important than your front. Like you could do push-ups all day, which are great. Now's right. a good time to just do millions of push-ups. Um, but loading your legs is hard without external weight. Like, especially if you've been working out, you can't just do air squats all day. Right. And it's hard to row anything substantial to get like your back musculature work. So things that are easy to do are arm care. You can lay on your kitchen table. If you don't have a, a bench in your house or something, and you can do your dumb dumbbell rows and your external rotations, and you can do your full arm care routine. That's easy. You can do push-ups and planks and core stuff, but it's hard to do your legs and your back. Um, but I see like the creativity and like I heard people about people leg pressing furniture and it's just like <laughs> we get to a point where just shift gears and just pivot like just go run some more go find a place go do some sprints sprints are very protective of your of your leg muscles and your hypertrophy like when you're sprinting you're using a very high percentage of your muscle fibers like you're activating a lot of your muscle uh, motor neurons your motor units and if you go sprint you'll, you're, you will protect a lot of your muscle. If you do push-ups, you'll protect a lot of your upper body muscle. Like your body will just continue to be fine. And if you go run, do some distance running, whatever, you're not going to like lose all your velocity. That, that really pisses me off when people are like, you should never run more than 60 yards. If you're a pitcher, you're just killing your, like your body's not that quick to just like fall apart. It just isn't. So I don't know. I think people are panicking. And maybe if I was still in college when I was a little more psycho about what i ate and what i what i did um with like the no days off mentality um maybe i'd feel a little bit different but from experience and you've been through a lot of long pro seasons where you just realize like you get you do what you can right and, and life's not perfect this is like a life's not perfect time so like do what's easy that you're actually going to do how many people are doing all these weird setting up your furniture as weight and like putting your feet up on two chairs and rowing a broomstick. And like, if it's really hard and annoying to do stuff, you're just not going to do it. Just like if you really need to get stuff done, bang out a bunch of push-ups, bang out a bunch of split squat jumps, put your foot up on a, on a chair and do a bunch of Bulgarian split squats with no weight then go outside and sprint a bunch of times and then go on a run the next day. Like it, you'll be fine. Like your training is not going down the drain in a month. So I well, don't know. It's, it, it's getting a little crazy. It's snowing in Chicago. So I'm not running anywhere. <clears throat> well then gather up all the snow, put it in a bag and then put that on your shoulders. Throw it. <laughs> and yeah, like around. make a medicine ball out of, uh, out of snow. Like it's frosty. The snowman's head is probably eight pounds. You really pack it good. You could go do that. Oh yeah. Well, shoveling, shoveling is good for the back. Shoveling is great. And yeah, you could go, make 
big snowballs, carry them on your shoulders and like do like a strong man thing. There's a lot of stuff you could do. But it's almost April. I'm over the uh the outdoor snow workout as well. Yeah, that's why Chicago as lovely and amazing as that city is, the climate's just terrible. I'm sorry, you guys, but it's not good. It's out of my control. What are you gonna do? Yeah. Um all right. Well we will be back Wednesday morning at nine AM Eastern. 8 a.m. Central. Does anyone care about Mountain Time and 6 a.m. Pacific? Right. We got so, one listener. I got one listener Pacific, so he's gonna want to li- just okay. one. Okay. Well, if you don't know, this will be uh, here on replay on Twitter, Periscope. It'll be here on replay on YouTube, and these will be on in podcast land shortly. So just stick with us. They'll start flowing out via all your favorite pod, uh, podcast networks. So. Robert, thank you. Good morning. Brush back. All right. See you Wednesday. Thank you for watching.